Welcome to another George Consortium COVID-19 Law and Policy Briefing presented by our colleagues around the country in association with Public Health Watch at Northeastern University and the Center for Public Health Law Research at Temple University. We are here to provide expert legal analysis during the COVID pandemic and hopefully to answer some of your questions. I am Abraham Gutman. I'm an opinion writer at the Philadelphia Inquirer. And today with me to talk about religious freedom and COVID-19 is Claudia Hopt, an associate professor of law and political science at Northeastern University. Her research is focused on the First Amendment, and I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, so let's just dive right in. Th- there's been a lot of conversation about um, religious freedoms and COVID-19 recently, um, specifically around issues uh, with um, whether or not going to church, going to synagogue, going to mosque is something that um, should be allowed under social distancing. This kind of all came up to a head uh, last week when uh, the Department of Justice sent a letter to to the um, governor of California that I kind of hope in this conversation we can understand uh, together if you can help me understand how um, simple things are. <laughs> um, the letter says that, the, simply put, and I'm quoting, there is no pandemic exception to U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. On the other hand, it seems that things are not so black and white. We know from uh, former Justice Robert Jackson that kind of coined the phrase that the Bill of Rights is not a suicide pact. So I'm hoping that we can help us understand where is the middle between those two and how much much should we um, think of the Bill of Rights as something that public health should not take into account at all? And so let's start off. What have been some of the major issues in religious freedom during COVID-19? Yeah, so let's start with a very basic question, right? So can the government require um, that churches be closed or restrict attendance um, uh, of, of religious services, right? How many people are allowed into a church or a synagogue or a mosque uh, at any point in time? Um, based on public health concerns, right? Right after all, the First Amendment guarantees free exercise of religion, right? But um, you just quoted Justice Jackson, and and none of the rights are absolute, right? And um, and there are limits, and the same goes for the free exercise uh, of of religion. Um, so there's a long and somewhat um, meandering doctrinal history um, in which the Supreme Court has interpreted the religion clauses. Um, and I will say that what makes this uh, area of the law particularly interesting is that it's sort of constantly in flux. Um, and so to answer the question of whether the government may require houses of worship to close, um, the short answer is yes. Um, uh, Of course, it has to be sufficiently justified in doing so. And so we can, you know, we can talk more about um, what the the constitutional analysis or potentially also statutory um, uh, analysis would look like in this this context. Um, But um, the short answer is yes, religious freedom can be limited. Now, of course, um, we're also seeing elected officials press, as as you just pointed out, Right, press more or less aggressively um, for the reopening of of houses of uh, of worship, and um, certainly there's there's a political dimension to this, um, right? And so um, this is where we see perhaps even a, just a, a partisan calculation that sort of open the churches, right, um, will resonate with um, with certain. Um, uh, portions of the electorate. And so um, I suppose it m- remains to be seen, though, whether this calculation actually works, right? So it depends, on the one hand, it depends on, does this resonate with anyone who would not have voted one way or the other already? It also depends on, um, you know, whether individuals actually um, uh, want to, um, or choose to attend um, uh, services, even if houses of worship are, are back open, or can, uh, or there's no limit on, on how many people can, can go there, or maybe 
maybe they're um, they're just more hesitant. And so, um, you know, finally, um, I suppose this is also a matter of, of common sense, right? So the, the last thing that religious uh, communities will want to do is get everybody sick. Um, and so, um, you know, even the, this, this, this may be seen as kind of a political issue um, uh, in some, in some corners um, or as a, as a way to score uh, electoral points um, with certain groups of voters. The truth is that here, as in so many other areas, right, a little common sense will go a long way. And, uh, um, and so that's sort of a, a broad overview of, of kind of this specific moment in time. Yeah, thank you for that. I want to get to the common sense point a little bit later, because as you were talking, I have a bunch of questions about that. But you mentioned statutory analysis. And I wonder if you can kind of help us understand what are the laws of governance. I think a lot of people who are non-lawyers like me are familiar with a notion of a First Amendment. But aside of the First Amendment, um, what else are um, judges, states working on? And how much of this is local, like on the state level versus the federal level? Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to, um, uh, we'll have to dive into a little bit of, uh, of constitutional history, take a little detour um, through uh, kind of constitutional history to, to, to answer that question. So bear with Perfect. me. Perfect. <laughs> I will come back. I promise I will come back to COVID. This is just sort of a little bit of a meandering through, um, through the First Amendment. So, all right. So we have to start um, basically back in 1990. There was a case um, uh, in the Supreme Court called Employment Division um, v. Smith. And um, uh, so the case was about individuals who ingested peyote as part of a, a Native American um, ceremony in violation of the state's drug laws. Um, and they claimed an exemption um, uh, from these uh, from these uh, laws um, and uh, based on based on freedom of religion, right? These were not specifically targeted at religion. These were just generally, um, generally applicable uh, drug laws. And their claim was, well, the state didn't have a strong enough interest um, uh, at the time that the Supreme Court actually um, demanded a, a, a compelling interest um, in prohibiting peyote for religious use, right? So you may have general drug laws, but you really don't have a strong enough interest to prohibit this for a ceremonial use. And uh, the Supreme Court said, actually, no, um, uh, under the free exercise clause, you don't have um, a claim to an exemption from an otherwise neutral, generally applicable law, right? Applies to everybody, religious, non-religious. You don't have a claim under the free exercise clause. um, and, And the law in question here was just about uh, uh, controlled substances, right? This was across the board, no matter who used them. So this was neutral, generally applicable. And Justice Scalia um, wrote the majority opinion in Smith. So the result was um, there's no free exercise claim to an exemption from a neutral law if it's generally applicable. Um, it's different, though, if you're targeting a religion specifically, right? But that wasn't that wasn't the case here. Um, so we're talking about a law that applies equally to everyone. So Justice Scalia said in Smith, look, if you want an exemption, right, go to your state legislature, just say, hey, you know, we we want this for religious use. Um, but so go to your le- go to your state legislature, but don't come to the courts, right? And say and demand an exemption as a matter of free exercise. So that's Smith, right? Um, after Smith was decided, everyone hated it. And by everyone, uh, by everyone, I mean Congress. Um, so they passed they passed federal law um, pretty much unanimously, actually. It was unanimous in the House and was near unanimous in the Senate. Um, uh, and it was called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, right? Refer for short. Um, and President Clinton signed it. And it was supposed to restore um, this more stringent free exercise 
exercise clause standard that existed um, before Smith. Um, it's a little more complicated than that. There's actually debate over what exactly it restored, right? Mm-hmm. A long time ago, the test was more stringent. Was it like the day before Smith was decided right. stringent, right? And you actually find some of this, um, um, you find some of this um, uh, in the footnote, in a footnote in Hobby Lobby, where they're going back and forth about what actually was interesting. Um, uh, was restored by by Rifra. but generally, so leaving that aside, in the interest of time, um, the, um, the the general idea was let's get rid of Smith by enacting the statute. Okay, here's where things get really messy. Um, if you've been following along so far, this is where it gets complicated. Um, so Rifra was supposed to uh, Rifra was supposed to apply on the federal and on the state level. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's what Congress wanted, but the Supreme Court, in a subsequent decision, said not so fast, Congress. Right, you can uh, make this applicable on the federal level, but you can't enact this against the states. So RIFRA was unconstitutional as applied against the states. So now you have RIFRA on the federal level. You can use it um, if you want to challenge, for example, say totally random. You have a freedom of religion based challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Totally hypothetical. Right. Right. Um, that right. That's where that would matter. Um, so back to COVID. Sorry, this this took a little. Can we? Can I just pause you for a second? So just so, again, to make sure that I understand, hopefully uh, uh, this will be helpful. So up until 1990, you could argue these exemptions. You could say, hey, like, this is my religious freedom. First Amendment is kind of, you know, um, gives a, uh, there was not a strict objection for these exemptions for neutral laws. 1990 comes along, Supreme Court says, it says, not so fast. Like, actually, that's not exactly how it works. Right. As long as, so this is for a judicial exemption from a general law, right? Right. To be applicable to applicable everybody, right? So a drug law in this case, right? A drug law, or you know, coming back to the COVID context, right? A general sort of stay-at-home order, um, broadly applied, right? You don't have a specific um, targeting of religion involved, right? As long as it's generally applicable, you can go to your legislature and say, you know, don't do this, right? I would like an exemption, but you can't say, as a matter of religious free exercise, I'm going to the court, right? right? So again, that was Smith. That is still the law, right? And this is what Congress tried to get rid of and restore a more sort of religion-friendly, if you will, sure. uh, uh, inquiry under the free, uh, under RIFRA, right? So this is our statutory regime. That would so currently the statutory regime is that if you're challenging a federal law, you have this mechanism in RIFRA. Yeah. If you're challenging a state law, it's much more complicated. Well, and this is where the story continues. Here. So okay, so um, uh, RIFRA not applicable to the states. But uh, several states have enacted their own RIFRAs. Hmm. So 21 states have their own uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, and um, uh, so it depends on where you are. And then there's another federal statute that um, it would take a little uh, too much time to sort of fully explore, but just so we know it's there. Um, it's called the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. Um, and that may, in some limited instances, um, uh, also apply, right? So this is about zoning and it's about prisons, basically. Um, so then what we're left with is basically if you're on the state level and most of the COVID um, uh, orders that we're looking at are on the state and local level, um, then we're really left with um, sort of a going state by state um, yeah. analysis. Um, now, what we could talk about to just make it easier is just what's the most stringent version of that, right? So worst case from the from the state's perspective, worst case scenario would 
be the strictest form of judicial review. Sure. Right? So, um, uh, so what what's important with that is it doesn't really matter what your what your level of review is. You can't say as a general matter, um, religious freedom wins or public oh, health. Yeah. Right. So there's no way to sort of make that general pronouncement. So you really have to look at um, the 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 facts uh, of the case and their and just acknowledge that there are important uh, interests on on both sides. Um, and so then you just go state by state, as I said, um, but in the interest of having a conversation, yeah, not going state by state, let's just assume uh, the most stringent version applies, right? So mm-hmm. worst case scenario, you're in a state, well, worst case for the, uh, for, I guess, the, the, the government, right? Um, and your um, stay at home order has to pass the strictest form of judicial review, which is we, what we call uh, strict scrutiny, right? So under strict scrutiny, the strictest strict form would be gov- the government has to have a compelling interest. So it has to be a compelling state interest and the government intervention. So for example, the order to, to um, close houses of worship or to um, to limit the size of um, the congregation, for example, right, would have to be narrowly tailored. So compelling state interest has to be narrowly tailored and it has to be the least restrictive means of accomplishing the government interest. So that's the strictest version that... that so if CDC says that you're allowed to have 50 people gatherings and the state comes and says we're going to limit it to 10, someone could argue, well, you could probably achieve this with 50 and not 10. So that's exactly where we're going to see the real interesting action in these cases. Hmm. To what extent are courts going to defer to expertise, hmm. right? Traditionally, there was a there was a high... So first, go back to compelling state interest, right? Um, uh, public health traditionally has been a compelling state interest, right? So, right. That, so what we're really fighting over then is narrowly tailored, least restrictive means to the extent that that's necessary. So I think um, one of the really interesting points will be, um, will courts defer to experts as long as the state is following, say, for example, CDC guidance, right? Will the courts then say, that's fine, you have a compelling state interest, and you're doing what the experts are telling you to do? Or will the end problem, of course, is we've seen an assault on expertise uh, recently. So will courts then say, no, 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 we don't buy what the experts say, right? Will they will they try to somehow make their own inquiry? So let me ask you a question about that. Because so and there was a, a COVID law briefing on this. So I, I recommend everybody go back and, and listen about kind of what is really the powers of the federal government at this moment to enact at home orders and federal shutdowns and stuff like that. So I wonder how important is, for example, if the federal government now lifts up restrictions, right, they say we don't have recommendations anymore, like the White House gives out currently, would that then be a tool in courts to undermine states being like, look, the, the, the White House says this is not you can achieve this in less restrictive means. Yeah. So while they're not compelling the states to use their guidelines because they maybe can't, they do have an ability to undermine them in the courts by basically providing an expertise argument. So we've seen this, we've seen this sort of battle of the experts in a lot of areas of the law that involves scientific knowledge, right? And so this would be completely unremarkable and not at all related to, to primarily to COVID because we've, we've just seen this, you know, over and over again. Just think, you know, tobacco litigation, right? Um, So as a matter of of sort of federal uh, guidance on what states have to um, base their stay-at-home orders on, there's really very little, right? Mm -hmm. There's, and and, and as we just said, this is is all primarily state and local government. Um, uh, uh, And and the the federal government's role in the stay-at-home closing and reopening the state sort of business has been very little 
available, um, possibly to the, you know, frustration of folks at the federal level who would like things to move in a different direction. And so because it is technically all in the, um, uh, in the state's, um, you know, purview to, 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 um, uh, to regulate, the federal government can't really do all that much. Right. What you're saying is, well, what about the experts, right? And that's exactly where the, where the problem will be. Because if you start having battles of experts in the courts and you say, well, we have a, we have a federal agency that's supposed to deal with this, or we have, you know, um, uh, you know, guidance on the federal level, um, that doesn't change the science itself, right? So, um, and we have a history with uh, uh, even, uh, you know, the highest court of the land misunderstanding sometimes basic statistics, honestly. Right. Uh, right. And, and that I think is, is sort of one of the, the, the longer term implications of this will be to, um, to see to what extent courts will rely on, um, on expertise. Now, this is, this is not, again, this is also not related specifically to, to religious free exercise, right? You can, you can make this argument with, you know, if you're a, um, a shopping mall or if you're a church, right? It, it, Huge issue in um, college discrimination issues. It works either way um, to uh, sort of decide what the state may base its orders on. Right. The way that it comes in here and is relevant is this idea of uh, narrowly tailored, least restrictive. Um, okay, we have, I, I, sorry, we, ha- we have about like two minutes left. Yeah. And I wonder if I can uh, just ask one question to see, uh, I have two actually, I'll try. The first is, um, did reading tea leaves on what courts will do is always a dangerous game. Did any court already rule on any of these issues to give us kind of a glimpse to what is to come? Yeah, so there are a lot of uh, challenges popping up all over the place. Uh, so just yesterday, there was a, a, a suit filed in district court in Oregon over the uh, governor's limit of um, uh, how many people can be in a house of worship at one time. So it's 25 people in Oregon. Same thing happened in Colorado, also a suit. There was 10 people. Uh, same thing last week in Nevada. So th- these are these are happening all over the place. Um, the more states reopen, the trickier it gets to make this this narrowly tailored and least mm. restrictive means argument, right? So I, I usually tell my students this is like a this is like a Swiss cheese kind of argument, right? The more holes you have, the less likely it is that you're going to going to um, succeed. Um, and this is exactly where you see the challenges. So they say, look, shopping malls are are allowed to open, and and um, you know nail salons, and why aren't we allowed to to reopen churches? And so we had two uh, just within the last week, we actually had two. Um, federal appellate courts weigh in on this, and this was on uh, emergency injunctions. So one was in the Ninth Circuit, um, where there was a challenge by um, by a church against um, the California order uh, and a local San Diego order. Um, and then there was the Fifth Circuit uh, uh, with a case out of Mississippi. Um, and what happened there was uh, in the Ninth Circuit, they said, look, we're not targeting religion, right? Remember when we talked about Smith, it's, I said, you're not allowed to specifically target religion. Um, and so the Ninth Circuit said, look, California wasn't targeting religion. This was not um, uh, this was not uh, imposing a burden only on conduct motivated by religious belief, is what court said. And the Fifth Circuit said, um, this is a fast-shifting landscape. We really don't want this to be on the appellate level. We want the decision to be made on the on the district court level. But um, we're going to rely, we're going to, you know, tell the city not to enforce the order on the promise from the church that they will comply with whatever um, guidance uh, uh, is, uh, whatever limits are imposed on other businesses. So they said on the assurances that by the church that it will satisfy the requirements entitling similarly situated businesses um, to reopen. So the point we're at now is the more the, the states reopen, um, the more there will be a push by by uh, houses of worship to 
be treated just like any other business in the state. So that's where that's sort of where the the action in, in the courts um, will be. So in our last 20 seconds, as a, as a parting thought, um, since there are so many lawsuits on this, it seems like this is a prime moment for this area of law to develop for new precedents to be set. Yeah. What are kind of um, the opportunities and risks or mainly risks of um, either broadening Smith or narrowing Smith? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, so for, for anything to happen to Smith, it would have to go to the Supreme Court, right? Right, so, right, of course. And, and, and like, as a, you know, as a, as a technical matter, it's only going to be of precedential value in the jurisdiction where it was decided. So you could easily have the Ninth Circuit and the Fifth Circuit come out um, opposite ways on this. Um, the thing is, these are really fact-specific depending on what the orders look like. So you could you could have wildly different outcomes um, uh, depending on, what, you know, it's it's 10 people here and 25 people there and mm. you know, it's different. Um, I think, you know, we, we already talked about one of the implications, which is the sort of role of expertise. I think that's something to keep an eye on. And then the other thing is, um, you know, just a bit more speculative, but just keep an eye on what happens to Smith in general. It's entirely possible, depending on the composition of the court, um, that Smith will be overruled at some point. But um, what's interesting here is that um, it's really hard to make sort of um, general predictions um, uh, because the, the the sort of on the liberal conservative uh, 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 spectrum, because the political valence over time shifts, right? Remember that it was Justice Scalia who wrote Smith. Right? Sure. So, so, so that'll be an interesting interesting thing to, to keep an eye on as well. Uh, I have a million more questions, but uh, we're at time. Uh, thank you so much to Professor Claudia Hopp from Northeastern University. I really appreciate your time. Um, so we will be broadcasting uh, on Twitter at noon every Tuesday and Thursday. You, all you need to do is go to at Watch, Public Health Law Watch, or search hashtag COVID Law Briefing. You can Google for the short show notes um, and all the show will be archived by the Weekend Health Law Podcast at www.twihl.com. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Professor Hopp. And the COVID-19 Law and Policy Briefing are produced by Faith Halik and Bethany Saxon. We will see you all next time. Please stay safe and wear a mask.